Hello and welcome to the Franchise Marketing Show. This episode was recorded at the International Franchise Show at the XL. So although we use some really good microphones, there is some background noise going on, there's some announcements going on, because obviously it was a really busy show. But the content is absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed recording these interviews. And I hope you enjoy um, watching slash listening to them as well. Enjoy. Cole, thanks for joining me. Great to see you. Hey, great to see you as well, and great to be here on the Franchise Marketing Show. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, we're obviously here at the International Franchise Show, and it is, it's been a busy day. Do you know what? It's been a crazy day. So I've actually not been here all day, but I arrived at about 12 o'clock, and I could not believe the people. Yeah. Yeah, first time I've seen that at a UK show for years. Yeah, and it's been like it all day. I, like, at this sort of time now, you expect it to maybe quiet down a bit, but it's been, it's been cons- like consistent like this. So, so I know D&T are here. Uh, what are you guys doing here at the show? So, um, D&T are here, you're absolutely right, and we are here for a few different purposes. And most people would see exhibitors and think, you're here to sell stuff. But actually, for us, yes, it's great if we meet potential and existing clients, but it's also about reaffirming our position in the industry. You know, we've been a little bit quiet over the last few years, and we've broadened our range of services now. So not only are we doing the network accountancy that we've always done for franchisors, so giving them control, transparency, consistency over their franchisees' finances, but we're now doing a lot of business planning, funding, and most importantly, joining the two together. So joining together the plans and the results to make sure that we've got happy and satisfied franchisees rather than spreadsheet millionaires who are skinned. Yeah, which, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, in the franchise sector now, like it, how many, what percentage of brands do you think are, are using one accountant to, to run their accounts? Very, very few. Yeah. So we look after, um, we look after you know, as, a, as a token, we look after about 120 at the moment. At the peak, it was 150. And obviously, COVID had a bit of an impact on that. And some brands that started and weren't successful had an impact on that. But in terms of the number of franchisors truly embracing it and the value, it's actually very few. Because often they've got existing franchisees and they're really worried about unsettling them and changing it. Or they get a prospect who says, you know what, I've got a brother-in-law who's an accountant, but guess what? They are the ones that break the system. So I think there's very few who truly embrace it. But you and I know, you and I know, Adam, uh, in terms of franchisee performance, it all comes down to unit level economics. And what worked for franchisor 10, 15, 20 years ago, when they were starting the business and on the ground themselves, isn't necessarily what the drivers are today. So our job is to get that live data and um, really become the advisor who knows the business inside out as it is today. And the, and the specialism in franchising is massive, isn't it? Like it, it is, and there's a number of people who will add franchising onto finance broker or onto accountants and believe that that's enough. And yes, from a marketing play, I can, I can see why they're doing it. Mm. But actually, having that in-depth knowledge of the actual results of what's really going on over 2,500 locations, yeah. and then being able to sort of analyse that data, summarise it, put that forward as the actual projections, it's safer for everybody involved in the transaction, for franchisee, for franchisor, it minimises risk of misrepresentation claims and so on, and for the banks as well. So, so yeah, in terms of what we're doing, we think that it's, it's a must-have. We don't know why people aren't doing it. They clearly aren't doing it. And that's because it wasn't a thing until we came up with this about 15 years ago. 
Um, but reassuringly, there's a number of franchisors who are now seeing the benefit of creating business plans for the purpose of business performance and management rather than just solely raising finance. Yeah, yeah. and obviously we kind of do the same thing, but marketing within franchise mm. networks. And again, there's not many franchisors that really embrace that. In the States, it's a massive thing. Um, and the data that it supplies, like you guys must have so much data with the networks you work with. And it's surprised, that, that must be a huge advantage. Uh, it's, it's massive. And where it can go is just mind blowing. So I wouldn't want to share our whole roadmap of where we see this going. But just as a bit of an insight, we could be looking at um, bulk purchasing deals. So you might have franchisee in Liverpool and Milton Keynes and um, Torquay, for example, using Vodafone, and then a bunch of 20 other using O2 and a bunch of 50 other using EE. We've got the data of what each franchisee is spending, how much they're spending and who they're spending it with. But they're going in as an individual customer to each uh, mobile phone company and paying back rate. Imagine if that was bundled together and able to be um, negotiated in the same way a corporate contract is. That's just one example of um, across a business's expenditure base of how that data can be used. Look at smart pricing for the banks. Banks typically only have exposure to the data that they see. And regardless of how big they say they are in franchising, let's just look at the top three. They've, quite frankly, only maximum got a third of all franchisees. So we can see it all, and we can uh, provide anonymized data to say, look, this is a good bet. You should be pricing it accordingly. So, so yeah, the data is huge. I think there's a load of future permutations of where that can go as well. Um, but ultimately, it's about making franchisors' life easier so that they can use the data, it can be summarized, analyzed by us, and we can give them the actions that they need to take. So rather than having a blanket franchise management process across the board, Instead, they can be more targeted and they can actually help drive and replicate best practice rather than ticking the tick box. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And where do you see um, technology going in accountancy? I mean, it, it feels like technology is moving at a pace at the moment which no one's quite in control of. And it, it's hard to predict where anything's going to go, but there's going to be huge changes, I'd imagine, in technology in the coming years in terms of AI and how uh, that Yeah, so I think um, technology is going to disrupt us all. If we were to be honest, look at the recent impact of AI. Who would have expected that the impact of AI would be on the creative arts, writing, images, video, and so on? And actually, the ones that hit the mainstream are the, um, you know, the neural language processors that are um, churning out loads of text, like ChatGPT. We've got the video producers, like Symphasia. We've got um, Lenser and so on, which are the more creative, imagery-based AI. And actually, most of us would have imagined that it would be data. It would be yeah, the yeah. raw stats, which is the stuff that our teams behind the scenes deal with, that, that artificial intelligence would have been able to optimize. So actually, I think that I would broaden the answer, but I'll give you if that's okay, yeah, to say that it's not just going to impact finance, accountancy, funding, and so on. In the same way, it's not just going to impact marketing, but actually it's going to be impacting everything we do. I think that AI is much like the, the web was in terms of the, um, the increment and the pace of it and what it's going to allow us to do. However, I still, at my core, I believe that business is human to human rather than B2B or B2C. And I don't believe that tech will replace the touch of a handshake or seeing somebody in the whites of the eyes. 
Um, I was very fortunate to be invited to be a speaker out in Saudi Arabia at the world's largest tech conference. And I had the opportunity to dance with robots. I had the opportunity to have my coffee made by a robot. I had a selfie machine that was robotic and could tell where the best position was. Wow. All of this stuff was going on. I was speaking to a hologram about Southend United's chances of <laughs> um, surviving the season. All of this stuff was going on, but actually it wasn't anywhere near where it had to be to replace a human. So I think that actually all of this tech, we can talk about it, and loads of this stuff's gonna be happening, but it's actually a platform to allow us to do better at what we do with the human relationships. Yeah. And I don't think certainly for the next um, five, six years, that's not gonna be replaced at all. The, the perhaps worrying side is AGI, artificial general intelligence and where that goes, because we then have a load of questions about ethics and the future direction of it. But again, I think that it's gonna be an enabler, a facilitator, it's going to impact some jobs, but I would sincerely hope that it's gonna be a change in the mix of jobs rather than a reduction of the number of jobs. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about personal branding. Um, it's something which we don't see that much of in the franchise sector. And, and to me, it feels like franchisor, it's the perfect kind of thing for franchisors should be doing. Um, ultimately, franchisees buy into the franchisor. And, and personal branding would be so important in that. I know it's something that you've done a lot. Like, what's your kind of take of it in terms of what franchisors could be doing, should be doing, and how important it is in general now? Yeah, so I, I think it's absolutely huge. And first of all, I want to shatter a myth that is sometimes out there. And that myth, and it sounds very egocentric for us, Avis, and it has been other people that have mentioned it, that I was the first person to have a personal brand in franchising. I absolutely was not. Absolutely was not. I might have been the first person to do this stuff online and really promote myself, but in fact, I was learning off of people like Dan Archer using Twitter and uh, you know, people on LinkedIn, um, you know, John Fisher, I don't know if you remember John Fisher and Nick Strong at the time. Yeah. Um, I, I absolutely was not the first person to do this. Actually, the first um, personal brands in franchising were those who founded the BFA. Those prominent individuals back in, um, was it the 70s, I presume, where they decided to club together and create the trade body because as individuals, they had built their reputations and their credibility to connect and so on and so forth. So personal branding, whilst it's considered to be a new thing, and I put a lot of that down to the Gary Vaynerchuks and so on of this world, actually it's always been there. And it's always been there both in and out of franchising. If we look at um, prominent business people like Alan Sugar and Richard Branson, we know that they are exceptional personal brands and they didn't start their personal brand by watching a Gary Vaynerchuk video in 2018. Yeah. Okay, So it's always been a thing and it's always been important for those franchisors and the advisors who've um, utilised the power of it to be a thing. The challenge that I believe a lot in the franchising space have, much as in the professions and everywhere else, is that it's perceived that a personal brand limits the scalability of a business. It's perceived that people will always come knocking on the door wanting to speak to whoever's name's above the door, etc., rather than one of the team. And I don't actually think that's true. And I think it was unfortunately reinforced by um, Michael E. Gerber in The Emif Revisited, where he was talking about the franchisable prototype, which was a great model but he mentioned this model to the exclusion of everything else. He mentioned this model as needing excellent systems. I think he called them extraordinary systems. Plus, ordinary people give you an extraordinary business. Now, that's a load of nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Gerber is a fantastic thinker, 
but that was perhaps a differentiator back in the 90s, the early 2000s. Nowadays, I think that every business needs exceptional systems and processes and exceptional people to become extraordinary. It's as simple as that. So what can franchisors do? I think they need to give it a try. They need to put the individuals first because I guess to wrap this up and to reinforce what you said in your question, people buy from people. As I mentioned earlier, businesses and um, B2B or B2C, it's H2H, human to human. And in franchising in particular, you're going into a relationship with not just the person who you sign on the dotted line with, but you're going into a relationship with the managers, you're going into a relationship with the back office team, you're going into um, a really long-term contractual relationship with people, and it's how the people act and what they do and how they communicate that's going to impact the success of your franchise business. So franchisors who are doing the right thing, the very best thing they can do is shout about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think what scares a lot of people when it comes to, I, I think people instantly think now personal branding is about video content, putting yourself out there, being on social media. I mean, that's important, but it doesn't have to just be how you build your personal brand. Absolutely. It? So, as I mentioned before, personal branding has been, I guess, distorted into online personal branding. And that, that distortion of it has, in turn, warped what people do, how they do it, and so on. I think that when it comes to thinking about building and growing and most importantly benefiting from a personal brand, the first thing you need to do is to understand who are you? And what I mean by that is what do you stand for personally? What is your vision? What are your values? What do other people talk about when you're not in the room? So it's effectively harnessing your own reputation. And again, people have done this long before Gary Vaynerchuk and other personal brand experts and they will continue to do it long beyond that as well. But understanding who you are, what's your unique place in the world, etc. Then I think it's about understanding the need for personal integrity. And what I mean by personal integrity, I'm not going to comment on what people do in their personal lives and so on. You know, it's up, up to every individual. But being one person on and offline, in the office and at home, etc. You know, being true to yourself, having that um, integrity of brand, I guess is the best way of putting it. Yeah. Once you've got that, then actually your method, your tactic of amplifying your personal brand might be online with lots of content creation, but it might be offline at networking events. It could be that you go down the traditional PR uh, route, which is what I did first of all, um, you know, focusing on newspapers and magazines and so on, broadcast media, radio stations. It could be that you do it in the charity space. There could be all kinds of ways of doing this. Um, I know that a lot of people listening will think, yeah, come on, what's the shortcut? How do I get 100,000 followers on socials? And I'll be honest, it's consistency and a lot of time. It's um, chipping away. You know, they all come 10 followers a day over a long enough period. If that's what I've done, that, that's how you get to that point. But the content creation itself doesn't need to be time-consuming. Yeah. So, for example, chatting to you today, I'm going to be tapping you up afterwards um, and asking you if I can have the video of this. And I'll convert this into probably five or six snippets that can go onto my Instagram. They can then be repurposed onto LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, etc., etc. They can then be transcribed. That transcription can then form um, bullet point quotes. It can then form shorter form articles. We probably won't get a blog out of this. But over time, you can multicast a single activity that takes 15 minutes, and you can multicast that into 100, 150 pieces of content. So actually, it doesn't need to be time consuming. The thing that's time consuming when you're looking at online personal branding 
is actually the consumption that we all get trapped into doing. We all spend our time logging on to Instagram or TikTok with the intention of posting something and then spending an hour just looking at what else is on there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I also, I, I actually don't know this, but I, I, I think something that puts stops people building a personal brand is that line between how much personal stuff do you also share as part of the personal brand. Um, do you think to build a, you said a really, I think, important point, which is actually yourself is the most, like how you are personally and how you are in business has to be aligned. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Do you think to build a personal brand, you have to share your personal life or can you build it just sharing your business life? So I think it's difficult to share it just business and to create a personal brand out of it. I think there needs to be something in addition. Now, in addition doesn't have to be your family life and it certainly shouldn't be warts and all. Okay, I think we need to remember that social media is a highlights reel and for most people it's highlights, for some people it's lowlights. They like sharing the bad, they like moaning, they like using it as a passive-aggressive mechanism. Um, nobody live streams their day 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And Adam, you're the age like me, but you probably remember the first ever Big Brother. Yeah, yeah. And it was quite surreal being able to watch people just sleeping. The reality is nowadays that won't capture online attention. So I don't personally believe that that's the way forward. I don't believe that... Um, you need to share everything, but I think that you need to share enough to show that you're more than just your business. And um, whether that's an insight into your hobbies, whether it's an insight into your family, whether it's an insight, in, it could be anything that you choose. But I do think that you should be, I wouldn't say strategic with it, but you should be mindful of the fact that actually people will use this as a tool to get to know you better and will appreciate it. But there's also a balance between what you're doing that matches the needs of your followers, which might be that they want to find out how they can buy your franchise, versus thinking you're a celebrity and they want to know your every movement. Yeah. Because the reality is, most people don't even want to know what Kim Kardashian's movements are. So why do they want to know Mrs. Smith from Leicester who's thinking of buying an XYZ franchise? So I think that there is a space for it, and you absolutely should put something over and above the business, but you just need to be mindful that it is a highlights reel and to use it in that way. One of the methodologies that I do like, and again going back to Go Vain Chuck, is the jab, 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 right hook. And that was actually the title of one of his books where he talked about boxers using jabs to earn the right to land a right hook. And I think that if, as somebody online, if you're looking to build a brand, that's a really good rule to live by. Don't just go for the sale and don't just constantly land jabs because you'll never win the boxing match doing either of those. Actually, it needs to be a nice mix. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels like actually jabbing is becoming an even bigger thing. You have to jab even more until you get the right hook over time. It's a, it's a really noisy space. If you were to ask me the question, would I do what I've done in personal branding and activity now, would I do it? Um, I'd answer that in two ways. First of all, no, I wouldn't. And secondly, the reason I wouldn't to the extent and the efforts I put in is because it would be nowhere near as successful as it was when I did it. I was very fortunate to get first move advantage. And I know that. I know that actually I, um, I stole a march on that stuff. And if I was to try and do it today, it's a much more crowded pond. And it's very, very hard to differentiate yourselves from the mass who are trying to say the same thing. Um, so, so, yeah, I would probably be mindful of how much focus I'd be putting into it and be mindful of actually, is it the right channel? Um, on the flip side, if you were to ask me, 
would I want the benefits again? Absolutely yes, because the doors it's opened, the opportunities it's given me, um, both for my businesses, but also for writing books and uh, being WH bestseller, keynote speaker internationally, all of that stuff. It's opened up a whole host of opportunities as well, but it'd be a whole lot tougher to do it today. So the show here today is just sort of just starting to wrap up. Um, it's been an incredibly busy day. How, how have you found it? Do you know what? I wish I'd had the chance to speak to more people. I, as I say, I got in at 12 and I've been amazed, first of all, at the sheer footfall, the volume of people on our stand and the buzz around the show. But you know what? I've also been, um, I've also been staggered by some of the old heads that I've seen in franchising. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. You know, it's, um, it's not a very nice thing to, to refer to people's ages, but actually I've caught up with some good mates who I've known in franchising for well over a decade. And, you know, like you're always on the scene, so of course I was going to see you. But I've seen people I've not seen for years. And, again, we know franchising is quite a small family, so it's been really good to be part of that and um, catch up with the family here at the Excel. Carl, thank you so much for joining us. Excellent. Cheers, Adam. Cheers.